I want to say again, I'm really, really thankful to be in the house of the Lord. As I was sitting there, uh, something came on my heart that I want to begin with this morning. I was thinking about why, why, why am I even preaching? And why do you come to listen to somebody stand up and talk? And much of that, the re- well, I'd say the main reason for that is we, we believe that God still speaks to His people. And He's still calling out to a lost world and giving them a chance to have their lives saved. And one of the ways He speaks to us is through men He has called to preach the gospel. And that's why I'm standing up here this morning. Not because I particularly want to or, or anything else. It's because God has called me to and put something inside of me that is beyond me. And that's why we come and listen, too. God speaks in other ways. He has spoken this morning through singing and through testimonies. And I don't know about you, but I feel Him that He has spoken to my heart through His Spirit. And I'm thankful. I feel a whole lot better than I did when I got here. And uh, if you don't feel that way, maybe you feel worse than you did when you got here. You can pray any time in this service. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying you're saved or lost. I don't know. But God has given us a precious gift that actually transforms our lives. That we call salvation. But what it really is, is you become a new person. And you still have some of the baggage from the past. And you still have your own broken personality to deal with. At least I do. But God has done a work inside of me that's underneath all of that noise. And I'm so thankful. So, I'll say as I begin, uh, standing before you this morning is a, an imperfect person. I'm not a, I don't write my sermons out ahead of time so they'll be perfectly polished. I, I'm just a man. But I'm a man God has called to preach. And there's a weight to that. And, and there's a weightiness to you listening. When a God-called minister stands and preaches and you hear the words, you're responsible. It's not no big deal. And I, I want you to know that as we begin this morning. We'll read from Ephesians 4 and also 1 Corinthians 12. And I'll tell you what's on my heart. Unity in the body of Christ. I preached, as you're turning there, I'll, I'll give you a background. Some of you heard all the messages. I preached um, six sermons on the ecclesia. The ecclesia is what most people call the church. I use that word because it's the Greek word, it's the one from the Bible, and it means the called out people of God. I preached six six messages on that, and this it wasn't intentionally a part seven, but I think it fits right in with those other messages. And for a few weeks the Lord let me preach some other things, but on my heart again today is the body of Christ the people who are here at Hendersonville Church, and how important it is that we relate to each other in a way that is glorifying to God and beneficial to the body. And part of that, part of the point of all of this is that we have unity. So let's read Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul is writing to a church, a congregation in the first century, but it applies to us. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, 
with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, excuse me, who is above all and through all and in you all. God desires oneness in his congregations. And that oneness is typified or exemplified in the oneness of himself. It's beyond my understanding, but he is, at every moment, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all together working in complete harmony and unity to accomplish his purpose. And he desires the congregation that he gave his life for to have that same kind of unity. This is really on my heart. And I'm going to try to preach exactly what the Lord's given me and hope that I don't mess it up. I I want you to know the Holy Spirit desires to bring about unity in the body of Christ. It is so important And most churches you go in, you can feel there's some kind of tension. There's some kind of rub. There's some kind of personality conflict. There's there's factions and groups of people who they like this person better and this one likes this person better. And guess what? This isn't strictly a Tennessee thing or a Southern thing or an American thing. It's not even a modern thing. This was going on in the first century. Paul and the other apostles addressed these sort of, they called them schisms, but they addressed these sort of divisions. And you may remember the passage where it talks about some are of Paul and some of Apollos. There were people who actually divided themselves and said, I like Paul better. And these people said, I like Apollos better. And they separate. God was not pleased. And I want you to know he's not pleased when there's division or unnecessary conflict in the body. That's why I keep talking about the church as Christ's body. Because it's more accurate than just using a word that has connotations of a building and decorations and pictures and steeples and pews. None of that is is the church. None of that is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is you. And just like it would be so silly... For your own human body to have an internal conflict and have factions and the hands go over here and say, we like ourselves better than the feet, but you know what hands can't do what feet can do. You try walking to your car after service on your hands. Some people can do that. I doubt there's anybody athletic enough in here to do that. And even they don't do it all the time. You try to write a letter with your feet. Again, some people can do that. But most people can't. You see what I'm saying? God has given us separate body parts to do the function that body part was designed for. Now, I don't know about you. I like faces a whole lot better than I do feet. I don't really like feet. They're kind of just, they're sort of creepy. I don't want any, but you know what? I love looking at a beautiful face. And plenty of people do. 
Sometimes I see somebody, and my wife knows I don't mean anything wrong by this, but sometimes I see someone who is so beautiful. It might be a little child, it might be a woman, it might be a man, but I can't help but just look at them. Just like sometimes I see a beautiful sunset or a landscape or something. God has given us beauty. Guess what? Just because the face is more attractive than the foot doesn't mean it's any better. In fact, it might be argued that the foot is more important. Because how are you going to get anywhere without your feet? It's very tough, too. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I hope you understand. We, we don't understand how important unity is in the body. Now, I want to say this before I, before I go any further. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and this is Paul saying in his own language what I just stumbled around. Uh, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read a few verses. But now are they many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you, nor much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely or unattractive parts have more abundant attractiveness or comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered or united, knit together the body, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Why? He tells you why in verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body. No separating division. Now, we're not talking about, I'll pause and say this, we're not talking about the truth causing the wheat and the chaff to be divided. We're not talking about the division between light and darkness that comes as a result of the truth. We're talking about a bodily schism that is unnecessary and harmful. The point that God sometimes gives an important job to somebody who's maybe not as talented, the point that sometimes God uses someone less attractive or, or in the background to do something, part of this is so that there would be no internal division, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And listen to this, and I'm feeling this this morning. Whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Or modern language would say, you are individual body parts, but all the same body. I don't know about you all, but my heart has been heavy for Sister Judy and Brother Joe and John Michael. Even though he's joined a different church, he's still in my heart. I, I hurt for them. And I woke up on Monday with this message on my heart at midnight. I didn't go back to bed. Because it is so important that the body of Christ functions like a body. Or what are we doing? I didn't come here today. I don't know what body part I am, but if I'm a foot, I didn't come to just hang out with a bunch of feet. If I'm a hand, I didn't come to just hang out with a bunch of hands. I came to be part of of this body and fulfill my little role and you fulfill yours so that we can function as his body. And by the way, the part that we're certain about is he is the head. That's the body part that's definite. 
So we suffer together when each other suffers. I think we can relate to that. We can understand that. The part that is maybe harder for our flesh is we should rejoice when other body parts do well. I've noticed this in my, in my workplace, and one of the reasons I chose the brokerage, the real estate brokerage that I'm at, is because there is generally, I mean, we're still human, but there's generally a sense of when one of my colleagues does well, everybody's so happy for them, instead of jealousy, instead of greed, instead of resentment. And it should be the same way here. You should be so thrilled when your brother or sister is blessed by God. And your heart should hurt when they're suffering. So let's get back to uh, the teaching from Ephesians 4. I said the Holy Spirit desires to bring about unity in the body. And here's what I want you to know. True, abiding, godly unity only comes when the individual body parts stop contending and campaigning and talking and gossiping about what they want. True godly unity only comes when the individual body parts stop focusing on what they want and instead submit themselves completely to what the head leads. I said this, this this is sort of my um, pastoral interview sermon. I preached these words in more than one church. Not the same sermon, but I said in several churches, it doesn't matter what you want. As you're looking for a pastor. I said it here. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter who you like. And it doesn't matter what you think you need. And now I can apply that to everything in my life and everything in your life. And especially everything in this congregation. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what you're used to. It doesn't matter what you grew up with. All that matters is what the head is directing. That, for me too, it doesn't matter what I want, what I like, what I desire. My personal preferences don't matter. You know why? Partly because I don't know what's best. There's times I want things and it's not the best thing. But God knows what we need and what, we, what, what He wants and how He can use us. The Holy Spirit desires to produce health in His body. But the body parts might not like like the path it takes to get there, and they might fight against it. Let's use an analogy, again, since the body is a scriptural example. Sometimes my stomach tells me it wants a cheesecake. Notice I didn't say a piece of cheesecake. And it would eat a whole cheesecake. Sometimes my taste buds tell me they want something. That's not good for the rest of my body. You know, there are people in the world, and Scripture talks about this, who are completely governed by the appetites of their stomach. And they're harming their body. And they're harming the world. My stomach can't be the predominant voice in my body. And in the morning, you know, I wake up, and my back or my feet or whatever, they say, let's lay here a little while. Let's just rest. And other body parts say other things. But ultimately, if I want to have a productive and happy life, my head needs to tell those other body parts to do what their job is and get over it. 
I mean, I'm talking harshly because sometimes my head needs to tell my stomach, no, you don't need a whole cheesecake. Here, have a carrot instead. Or some steak. Or whatever, some eggs. And I, <laughs> this again is just me. I don't know if y'all are like this. I do better off, if I eat a bite of cheesecake, I want a whole cheesecake. I need to just not have it. <laughs> Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we want it all our way or nothing at all. You know what would be a lot more reasonable? If I had a small piece of cheesecake, listen to my head, have some carrots, have some steak. That'd be okay. You say, what, what are you talking about, preacher? What does this have to do with anything? This is the point. Just like in a human body, the stomach or the taste buds or the feet or the arms or the hands might want something, but the head knows what's best and the head needs to tell everybody, other body part what to do. This body of Christ, Hendersonville Missionary Baptist Church, every one of us need to listen to the head. And let me say again so there's no confusion. I'm not the head. I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm even the mouthpiece. All I am is a servant, but I'm trying to tell you what God put on my heart. Sometimes the, my muscles of my body cry out under their weariness and soreness. Sometimes they say, we can't take anymore. I decided a, a little while back that I need to be in better shape. And not just so I'll look better, but because I, I want to have a quality of life. I don't want to not be able to get around in a few years. And so I started doing squats with my little girl who's getting bigger. And I remember the first day we did squats. I mean, I hold her in my arm and squat down. I, I got to 10. This is how, how bad a shape I was in. And I was worn out. And my legs were wobbly. And my thighs, my, my quads and my hamstrings, they said, we can't do anymore. Don't make us do that again. We don't like that. Sit down and eat a cheesecake. <laughs> you know what? The next day I did it again. And the next day I did it again. And after about a week, we could do 20 or 25 and it didn't hurt at all. You, you can do things. The head can tell you to do things that seem hard and difficult at first. And he can help you. And He can condition you and He can strengthen you to where... Listen, He wants to do things with this congregation and with you that are beyond your imagination, but for it to happen, you need to get over yourself. My hamstrings and quads had to get over themselves until it wasn't a big deal to do what the head said to do. That is how the human body strives for unity. You see what I'm saying? These legs subjected themselves to the better instruction of the head to make the body better. It's the same way in the church of the Lord Jesus. We should all crave, pray for, desire, strive for, work toward bodily unity. And that means sometimes I might be uncomfortable. I might be disappointed. I might not like what's happening. But my job is to figure out whether the head is leading what's happening and whether I need to get over myself. I want to make sure this is clear as well. Unity of the Spirit, which is absolutely essential in, in the Lord's congregation. Unity of the Spirit is not the same thing as unity of opinion. 
Unity of the Spirit is not the same thing as uniformity of opinion. Unity of the Spirit doesn't mean we all agree with each other all the time. I want to make sure that's clear. You can have unity in a body of Christ and not everybody believes exactly the same thing about every single thing. And let me, let's don't stumble around. If we came here today and every single one of you believed exactly the same thing I do about every single topic we could ever come up with, we would not be a church, we would be a cult. And I'm not being extreme, I'm being, I mean literal. If everybody here had the same opinion about everything and none of you ever questioned anything I ever said in your own heads and in your prayer time with God, that's not a church, it's a cult. So I am not telling you that you need to agree with everything I say or believe everything I say or do everything I say or want everything I say. What I'm saying is every single one of us needs to desire And want and be hungry for what the head leads more than anything else. You know what that means? You can have a little bit of different opinions. And by the way, I I told somebody this recently. Yeah, I don't agree with everything you think. I don't even agree with everything I think. If you've never changed your opinion about something, you're not growing. I don't believe the same thing about everything that I believed ten years ago. Or five years ago. The fundamental things I do. But there's little nuances that I've adjusted what I believe because it wasn't quite right. That's okay. We're not going to agree on every little thing. And I'm not necessarily talking about just big things. I'm talking about personal preferences. Just humans. See, the body of Christ is comprised of members made up of humans who have problems. And one of the reasons I love this little church is we have a lot of problems. We're not some like polished, put together, everything is perfect. You walk in, we start right on time and all the songs are perfect. And we've got a big praise band or choir or something. And every, there's sometimes things don't go just right. And you know what? That's okay. We're made up of people who need the Lord. And I'm glad we know that. We're not going to agree about every little thing. Just think about this. Some like it hot. Some want it cold. I look out in in a congregation. Some of y'all have blankets on and some of you are sweating. I mean, not just this church, but you'll see. One person's with a blanket one's got the fan going. (sighs) Some like a dimly lit room. Some want plenty of light. Some want to sit in the back. Some want to sit in the front. Some like this and some like that. That's all fine. We have individual preferences because we're individual people. But if a church is going to be successful, the members must get over our own individual preferences and desires and wants and submit to the will of God and defer to each other. That's what the word long-suffering means. In my flesh, I'm not built as a long-suffering person, but the Holy Spirit, when He saved me, has been conditioning some of that into me. He puts something in us that makes us want to want what the other person needs more than what we want. And that can be a struggle. This is why Scripture teaches, let let each one esteem others more highly than themselves. And we're not going to agree on every little thing, brothers and sisters, but we should be able to agree on the things that matter most. Shouldn't we? 
Mature Christians are able to let go of the little things in order to focus on the one thing, the one person, our Savior and King, the head of the body. And mature Christians should be able to keep the bigger picture in mind, our mission to the world and the lost people in it. Now, the last couple of days, as some of our members have been really suffering, my heart has been heavy for them. And that overshadowed everything else. Now, I'm not saying I had any personality conflicts with, with Joe or, or Judy. I don't. But if I had, it would have all evaporated in light of what they're going through. I just want them to be better. Well, let me make this more clear. Um, my wife and I are about as opposite as you can be in temperament and personality. And God knew that. He, he brought us together for a purpose. It's helped both of us. And she went through a time, as some of you know, when we were first married. We've been married about three weeks. She ended up in the hospital, ended up paralyzed. That month, it was 30, 31 days in the hospital and then about three months after a physical therapy. That month in the hospital was the most peaceful, harmonious time I'm not exaggerating. It was the most peaceful, harmonious, happy time of our whole marriage. We didn't argue at all. We didn't disagree at all. We didn't get frustrated with each other. We didn't get annoyed at each other. Because she was in such condition that all I cared about is that she got better. And the Lord was using me to show her love in such a way that all she could think about is, wow, he really loves me. That's how it's supposed to be. Now, since she got out of the hospital and got better and healed and we got a baby and a home and all this stuff, we get frustrated at each other. We get annoyed. We get distracted. We get, I say, sideways with each other. And Mary Grace, she always knows. She's watching. And then we're like, okay, we need to tone down how we're talking because she's... You know what, though? When something big happens, all the little stuff goes away. Here's what I'm saying. God wants to use His congregation to do something big. You say, well, what are you talking about? I don't know. But we're not here to just sit around and be body parts. We're here to work and labor and be active for Him. We need to figure out what He wants, focus on the health of the body, and not care about the little stuff. I've been through that before in my own marriage and in other places. And it's so much better when you focus on the big picture, what really matters. Some of y'all know this. Let each one esteem others more highly than themselves. We're not going to agree on every little thing. And that's fine. Some of y'all have seen things like this, but I want to mention, I've seen and heard of churches spending so much energy and causing so much division and hurt over some of the smallest things. It's usually the small things that people get sideways about. The little foxes spoil the vineyard. It's not the big things. I mean, we, I think everybody here agrees you need to be saved by the grace of God. You have to repent. You have to trust Him to be saved. He's the only one who can let you know you're saved. That's the big things. We agree you need to be baptized if you want to be a church member and it needs to be under the water. Those are big things. Let me give you an example of some little things I've heard churches fight about. We want green carpet, but they're trying to make it blue. I actually heard of that. They want church pews, new ones, because these are raggedy, but I like this one. 
I don't want a new one. I got saved on this one. They want to start for service at 10, but we've always had it at 11. They want contemporary music, but we want the old songs we grew up with. They want to have revival in May, but we've always had it in the first week of July for the past 40 years. You know, listen to the language, us versus them, they versus we. Inside of your own self, when you start talking that way in your own head or even out loud, you start saying they and we and us and them, be careful. That is evidence that there's no unity in your own heart. And you're not esteeming the others highly than, more highly than yourselves. We can us and them and we and they all we want. Here's the big picture that we should agree on. Right now, since I've been standing up here, people have died and gone to hell. What did we do about it? I'm not being mean. I'm saying, like, really? What did we do about it? That's what's on my heart. I want this body to get to the point that the head is using us. And we don't care what kind of shoes we're wearing, if they're slip-ons or shoelaces or what brand they are, or whether we're wearing shorts or pants or a jacket or a t-shirt. We don't care about any of that stuff. We just want to do what He's leading. Yes. That's heavy. People have died and gone to hell since we've been here today. Not a few, a lot. And sometimes we spend more time talking about, worrying about, thinking about colors and decorations. And I even heard of one church spend about 10 minutes in their business meeting arguing over what kind of floor cleaner to use. Come on. That's just silly. You know what the Apostle Paul would say? Because he did say it. He would say that's proof you're carnal and you're immature spiritually. And you need to grow up. That's what Paul would say. None of that stuff matters. You say, Pastor, is this a personal sermon? Yeah, it's personal. God put it in my heart and I can't get rid of it. But it's not personal in the degree that I'm not talking to a single one of you. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, this is something every church needs to be reminded of. I'm not pointing fingers. Uh, I don't know what to point at. Only the head knows that. <laughs> I don't know who needs to change. The head does. But I'll tell you what, this stuff, reson not, it's not stuff, this truth resonates in my heart. There are things that I'm preaching that I need to be reminded of. I need to be reminded. It doesn't matter what I like, what I want, what I'm used to. Let me prove that with Scripture. And you, you might not like me saying this, but it's true. What you want doesn't matter. What I want doesn't matter. Let's read the very first verse again that Paul wrote in this chapter, the beginning of our text. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul calls himself a prisoner on purpose. That Greek word is doulos. It's like a slave of a slave. The servant of a servant. It's a very subservient name. Listen, prisoners don't have any right to think anything. And in that sense, God, uh, we're free, we're not prisoners. But Paul is making it clear that if I am going to labor 
for the kingdom of God and be used by Him, I have to get over myself. I'm His prisoner. Whatever He says is what I do, whether it makes sense, whether I figured it out, whether I think it's good or not. Prisoners have very little say in what happens, and what they want is given very little consideration. Now, I don't mean that in a mean way, and God's not mean toward us. That's, he's tender-hearted and long-suffering and patient toward us. If He wasn't, we wouldn't be here. But, we don't need to turn Him into some kind of Disney version of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. He doesn't faint or grow weary. He looks down as if we're grasshoppers, and what He thinks and what He leads and what He guides is what matters. Nothing else matters. I'm going to conclude with this scripture and explain it a little bit. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? It's phrased in the sense of a question. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? But it's so self-evident, it's almost like an axiomatic truth. We know the answer. No, you can't walk together unless you're agreed. Let's talk about what this, this actually means. Let's consider the context in Bible times. In Bible times, when this verse in Amos 3.3 was written, this was before automobiles. This was before boats, as we know them. They might have had some small boats, but I'm talking about ships. There weren't um, combustion engines. There weren't uh, flying machines like airplanes and helicopters. There were a few camels. Depending on the part of the world, there weren't even horses to ride. There might have been some donkeys. So first off, the primary mode of transportation in Bible times was by foot. And so when he says, can two walk together unless they be agreed, he's talking about the main way anybody gets anywhere. On foot. Now, for two people to come together and walk together... There has to be some unity. There has to be some agreement. Or it's not going to work. There's a few things in particular that they need to agree on. The first thing that they need to agree on is whether they even want to walk together. I want to say this especially to the young people. There's some people in life that you shouldn't walk with. You don't need to associate with. You don't need to have anything to do with. You don't owe them anything. And they will pull you down faster than you pull them up. There are some people who are so corrupting that all you need to do is pray for and run. So the first thing is, can I even walk with this person? The second thing that you need to agree on is uh, the destination. If you're not going to the same place, or at least in the same direction, there's no reason to walk together. Because one of you are going to walk with the other one and have to turn around and go back. It's going to take you twice as long. Another thing that you need to agree on in the sense of this scripture is um, the direction of the destination. If you're going to, we're going to walk to Nashville after this. It's going to take a while. Aren't you glad we don't have to walk all the time? 
Let's say we're walking in Nashville, and some of you think it's east of here, some of you think it's south of here, and some of you think it's north of here. The first thing we got to figure out is what direction is Nashville? And until we know that, we're not going to get there. And there may be somebody with a map or a compass or a Google phone, and they pull it up and they say, uh, it's southwest of here. Look. And you know what? There'll be some people, no matter if you show them that map, they'll say, no, it's not, it's north. You know what? Those people who want to go north, they can go on and walk north. They're going to get to Bowling Green instead of Nashville. Another thing you need to agree on, and all of this ties in. I'm going to pray the Lord brings it all together. Another thing you need to agree on is the path or the road to get there. There's different paths to Nashville. You could go down 31. You could go part of the way down Long Hollow Pike. You could go part of the way down Vietnam Veterans and then 65. Once you get there, you could loop behind Nashville or go right into Nashville. But you know what? If you take different paths, you're not going to be walking together. You might get there eventually. So that's something else you need to figure out. It's the same with a congregation. Are we agreeing to walk together? First of all, are we even going in the same direction? And do we know what our destination is? And if so, are we willing to take the same path to get there? The Lord can use different people in different ways, but God wants to use a congregation to have unity, to go down the same path in the same direction to the same destination, or we're going to have problems. I hope that makes sense, and I hope um, it doesn't just seem like a distraction from the rest of the message. It's so important to be aligned with people that want the same thing and want the same thing from the Lord. People who want Him more than they want what we want. So I want to ask you that as I conclude this, this message, this effort. Do you really desire unity in this body, this body of Christ? Or do you want to argue about, and I'm not saying y'all argue about this, but people do. You want to argue about carpet colors and cleaner and paint. Come on, none of that matters. It's all going to burn up. We don't have time for that kind of conflict. You know what we have time for? Love, forgiveness, gentleness, kindness, meekness. Against such there is no law. That's what we need. Love covers a multitude of sins. I love y'all. And some of this message might have felt stern or direct. It's because it, it's on my heart. But I love you. And we, if we want the Lord to use this church, we need to get to the place that we love each other more than, than we don't like each other. You see what I mean? We're going to have different personalities. That's fine. We need to love each other. That's what was on my heart, Uh, and I'm going to leave it at that.